0: You know, when I hear that passage read out loud, I think maybe I should have stuck with the original text, Colossians 3, a lot easier to preach on than what was just read. You know, I've done a lot of sermons on marriage and conflict resolution and and how to choose a spouse and communication and God's design and things like that. But today we're going to be talking about difficult marriages, hard marriages And if you've been married, you know, for some length of time, you know that there are times, no matter how good the marriage is, there are going to be times when a marriage can be difficult. You take two people from different backgrounds, different personalities, different families of origin, different ways of doing things, bringing different issues or baggage into that relationship. No matter how, quote, healthy those persons might be, there will be times when it won't be as easy as you thought it might be or hope that it will be. You know, marriage, uh, it's hard to disagree, has fallen in some hard times in the number of years. Uh, They tell us in the past 30 years or so, the numbers of people getting married has declined by 40%. In about that same period of time, the divorce rate has doubled. For the average couple today getting married, the, uh, the probability of separation and divorce is 50%. Wow. Many couples are choosing to live together before they get married, even though studies show that time and again that living together is one of the strongest predictors of marital failure and people are waiting longer to get married probably because of the statistics you know 25 for women and 27 for men men are always a little bit behind uh, women in that, situ- in that situation marriage is falling on hard times it has fallen on hard times the frantic pace of life um, unreal- unrealistic expectations that sometimes partners have for each other Sexual temptation, job stress, financial pressure, many of us having grown up in broken homes. There's all sorts of variables and factors that make marriage increasingly difficult in the 21st century. We're continuing our sermon series today called Relationship 101. And what we're doing is we're looking at scripture and what it has to say to us about different relationships that we might have in life. We began with looking at the relationships that we have within the body of Christ with each other. We have looked at um, our relationships with the world around us and our neighbors. And today, obviously, we're looking at the most intimate of all relationships, the one that we call marriage. So, what do we do if you find yourself in a struggling, difficult marriage? Do we simply resign ourselves to a, a long, relatively joyless existence? That doesn't sound too appealing. Do we throw in the towel and give up and get divorced? What do we do when our marriage is struggling? More importantly, what does God want us to do? How does he want us to respond? And most importantly, what can God do? What does God want to do in our relationships? You know, in the society at large and in the church, it can be difficult, right, to talk about problems in your marriage. As human beings, it seems that there's a little bit of a a stigma sometimes attached to it or embarrassment or we feel uncomfortable. It's understandable. We want people to think our families, our marriages are going great and everything's wonderful. It's understandable, but it's not a very healthy thing. I'm not advocating or saying that you need to run to mom or dad or neighbor or best friend, every time there's a bump in the marriage, that cannot be a good thing. Or even when we have a blowout fight, we are to try to work through it, communicate with each other first before seeking outside help. But what I am saying is that as married couples, we must be willing to be honest, to seek help wisely when we do struggle. And we will struggle at times. You know, as a pastor, it's tragic because I've had far too many cases where a couple will come into the office asking for help, but I feel like an undertaker because their marriage is on life support. They're just looking for permission to pull the plug. They're just now asking for help. And it's not impossible, even in those situations, to to save the relationship with God. Anything is possible, but it makes it extremely difficult because far too frequently... People have already made up their minds, or at least one of them has already made up their mind. They've already left. Now, right from the outside, I want to make something clear. I am not here this morning. Please don't take it this way. I'm not here this morning to pile on guilt about previous failed marriages. We are broken people living in a broken world. I don't know the circumstances of of your past divorce or divorce you're going through now. I'm not here to judge. And there are certainly some instances... Uh, where biblically a case could be made for divorce. And maybe your divorce met that criteria. Maybe it didn't. Regardless, I do want you to know and remember this. God is a God of amazing grace and love and mercy. He will not hold your past against you if you come to him humbly and ask for his help and forgiveness. And any mistakes in your past relationships do not doom you to future failure. So, with that in mind, <coughs> I want to focus on the present and future where our marriages and relationships are concerned. And if you're not married currently, I hope that some of this material will be helpful to you as you come alongside friends or family who are struggling in their marriages. You know, one of the things I tell couples <laughs> during premarital counseling is to never be afraid to ask for help seems pretty obvious you know if our chest hurts painfully whenever we stand up or walk or begin to run we usually go to the doctor pretty quickly don't we if on a regular basis our car makes a knocking noise and begins to shake and shimmy when we begin to accelerate we usually go to the mechanic pretty quickly the vast majority of us never dream of ignoring signs like that regarding our physical body or our car, and yet over and over, people can tend to ignore signs of trouble in their marriage because of maybe fear, or just, to, to just they just want to face reality, embarrassment, you know, whatever it might be, or guilt. And so, one of my goals here this morning is to encourage you to become much more proactive about your marriage. That you would, ins- that we would invest in our marriages on a regular basis. That we would do. Regular maintenance, just like we do with our bodies and our cars, but it's even way, way, way more important to do so with our marriages. Things like marriage conferences or getaways or date nights or or socializing with friends who you really trust to encourage you and help you in your relationship. But what does this passage this morning have to do with what I'm talking about? Well, I think we can learn something about a struggling marriage from the story of a prophet who had a very difficult and interesting relationship with his wife. So I'm going to read a couple passages, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of verses, <coughs> excuse me, that Jennifer just read. And again, if you want to follow your Bibles, you can, but it's from Hosea again, which is in the Old Testament right after Daniel. And uh, he's a prophet to Israel and Judah. And we find him in the midst of a very difficult marriage. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the Lord is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now a couple of things. Obviously, we are to choose wisely when we marry. Certainly Hosea normally wouldn't have married Gomer under normal circumstances. Uh I mean he, he knew something about her reputation. Uh she was named Gomer. I mean I mean, come on, you know i mean every time if my wife was named gomer i'd always think of gomer pile that's just that wouldn't work very well you know i love you gomer just 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 wouldn't work it was a different time maybe gomer was like sarah or or jennifer or something like i don't know back then but but regardless god asked this prophet to do something very specific with a certain very specific woman at a very specific time he had a, a purpose and a plan for what he was trying to teach the people of Israel through Hosea and his relationship with Gomer. But for us, God is God's will for us is that we would choose very wisely when we get married, that we would look for someone who loves Jesus Christ, with whom we share similar values and beliefs, someone who is trustworthy, certainly, and someone who will bring out the best in us as we seek to be a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Another thing, we don't know for sure, but it appears in verses 6 and 8 that Gomer is unfaithful and has two children as a result of her unfaithfulness, i.e., Hosea is not their father. The language used is different from verse 3 where it says she conceived and bore him, Hosea, a son. In verses 6 and 8 doesn't say anything about bearing Hosea a daughter and a son. And our suspicions seem to be confirmed in verse 2, where God tells Hosea, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. So regardless, this is a a tough, tough marriage. And it's about to get harder, believe it or not. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, (coughs) go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a Homer and a Lethic of barley. So the fact that he had to buy her back tells us that evidently she has run off and somebody's pimping her out and he has to buy her back. And then it says Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man. And I will live with you. Wow. Now, you might be saying, well, Pastor Doug, are you saying that. That. We are to stay in there when things are awful, when our spouse is habitually unfaithful. When they have no regard for our feelings. When they embarrass us public, when there is no repentance, no effort whatsoever. I'm not saying that, Okay, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are, as I said earlier, there are times when biblically divorce is allowed: unfaithfulness that that can't be worked through because of lack of repentance and change; spousal abuse where the life of a of a of life of a wife and children are in danger; perhaps your spouse left you and wants nothing to do with you, and you have no control over it. But what God allows and what God wants aren't always the same thing. And when we give up on a marriage, we must proceed very, very carefully and very, very prayerfully and seek a lot of of counsel. (coughs) And not just from the people who tell us what we want to hear. Anyway, what can we draw from Jose's experience? (coughs) The first thing is the permanence and the power of the covenant of God that he has with his people. (coughs) God called Hosea to remain in the covenant that he had made with Gomer as an act of obedience and faith. I'm sure he didn't feel like staying married, and he would have been justified in saying good riddance, but God told him to stay in there. You see, God's covenant with us is, is one that he will never, ever break. If our relationship with God ever suffers, it will be because we walk away, not because he does. God does not give up on those with whom he is in covenant relationship. And he does not base his commitment to us based upon our faithfulness to him. Thank God for that or we'd all be in trouble. He does not base his commitment to us based upon our beauty, our accomplishments, what we can do for him or how he's feeling. He acts out of love. And he does not give up on us. And God calls us to do the same with our covenant relationships. He calls us to do the same so that we can be a a, a witness to the power of God to do the the impossible. Far too often our actions as believers don't match up with our theology. We say we believe God can do the impossible. We say that on the cross he died so we can be reconciled to the, the Father, but also to each other. But yet we can give up so easily on relationships. God can redeem anything, even a struggling and hard marriage. And when we hang in there and work at it, even when the other person doesn't deserve it, or even when we don't deserve it, it gives God an opportunity to do the impossible, and it gives us a chance to show the world that we believe that he can. When we know that God can do something in our lives and we don't do it. In all but a small minority of cases, we are to remain in the covenant that we have made with our spouse and allow God to work in us and in our spouse and redeem our marriage. Secondly, in Hosea, God calls us to forgive as he forgives us. In the rest of the book of Hosea, which is kind of an interesting read, God goes on <laughs> to draw these parallels between his relationship with the people of God and Hosea's relationship with Gomer. He kind of do, he does these parallels. Just as Gomer has been unfaithful, so have God's people. Just as Gomer has blatantly rejected Hosea publicly, so has God's people. Just as Gomer has sold herself to others, so have God's people. Just as Hosea stays committed to her in spite of this, so does God to his people. And just as God gives his people something they do not deserve, Forgiveness, a second chance, a commitment. So does Hosea to Gomer. And one of the hardest things to say in a marriage is, I was wrong and I'm sorry. But perhaps even harder because of our pride and, and whatever is to say, I forgive you. Anger, bitterness, resentment, a sense of our anger being justified. In some cases it might be hurt, and pain, all these things can keep us from saying those three simple words I forgive you. And yet, in light of all that God has forgiven us, how can we not forgive others? Even our deepest hurts. Another caveat. Okay. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we are to be stupid or inauthentic or naive. Forgiveness can take time. It can be a process. We are not to become a A punching bag, literally or figuratively. It may not even mean that we remain in relationship with that individual, but we are to forgive. It's very, very clear in the scripture. And this process of forgiveness, we might need help with it. But we have to be willing to begin. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Doug, you just don't understand. You don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know what I'm going through in my marriage. And you're right, I do not know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you've gone through. And again, I want you to hear very clearly, I'm not here to pass judgment or pile on guilt, but I want you to know that there is help available, whether your marriage has ended or not, and that God wants to see you in right relationship with him and with your spouse. He wants to see you grow through the process, and God knows the pain of difficult relationships because... Well, he's been in a relationship with us, right, for a long time. I recently spoke with a couple uh, who, a, f- a few years ago, <coughs> who had gone through the pain of infidelity. And they told me that how God, how they allowed God to work and how they chose to stay in the marriage and how they sought counseling, how they asked trusted friends to come alongside them and to help them and how they chose to offer forgiveness to each other and to receive that forgiveness. And now, they say, their marriage is deeper and stronger and more fulfilling than it has ever been. Conflict in marriage, whether it's over money or infidelity or emotional coldness or intimacy issues or whatever, conflict is really an opportunity for us as couples to grow to a deeper level of understanding and love where we learn to extend and receive grace, where we learn to offer and receive forgiveness, where we learn about each other and where we learn more and more about God as we see him work in our lives. You know, marriages are under constant attack. Satan would like nothing more than to see marriages fail. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, his first act that we read about, uh, well, actually chapter 3, but in chapter 2 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. Well, in chapter 3 we see Satan coming into the story. He causes, he strikes it at oneness. He strikes it at that relationship between Adam and Eve. They sin, and the result has been great pain in our relationships ever since. I mean, Satan's purpose is to do as much harm as he possibly can before Christ returns and puts Satan in his place permanently. And where can he do the most damage? I mean, when a marriage fails, it doesn't just affect. The two spouses, the shrapnel from a marriage flies out and hits children, grandchildren, siblings, friends, and the wounds can fester for years, causing even more pain. In view of the countless pressures and the spiritual attack, is it any wonder that marriage can be a struggle and can be hard? There was a study a few years back about Christian marriage. Uh, (laughs) I share this with people that I do premarital counseling with and I think I've shared it a few times from the pulpit, but it bears repeating because it's it's pretty powerful, is there was a study done about Christian marriage. What difference does it make? Uh, Because as you know, the rate in the church and outside the church, not much difference, sadly. (coughs) But if you look a little bit deeper, the researchers discovered there were three things that if couples did them faithfully, the divorce rate plummeted. The three things were daily Bible reading, daily prayer together, and weekly worship a regular, consistent worship together. That was the three simple things. And if you think about it, it makes sense, because as you read God's word together, <coughs> you're getting <coughs> excuse me, his perspective, his truth about who you are, about your spouse, about your relationship, about God, about the world, about forgiveness. As you pray together, you're offering yourself to him together, you're offering asking for His help and his strength and his mercy, your healing, his healing. He will answer that prayer. And when you worship together and serve together, you're fed spiritually, you grow together, and you find support and encouragement from others in the body of Christ. (coughs) So in closing, if your marriage is struggling, remember there is help available. You're not alone. Things can change. God can do the impossible. If your marriage has failed, has not made it, is ending, remember with God there is grace, there is love, there is mercy. There is forgiveness. He will continue to love you. He will not reject you. He will hold you fast. And then finally, if you have any questions, this is a a difficult topic. And again, I do not presume to know where you're coming from in your marriage or previous relationships. If you have questions, if you have concerns, please feel free to talk to me, uh, to reach out to me or one of the other pastors if you feel more comfortable doing that. And we'd be glad to come alongside and answer your concerns or or, or help in any way that we can. Let's bow in a word of prayer. For your word, we're grateful for the love and forgiveness (coughs) that is offered to us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you are a God who keeps his word, who is a God of the covenant that you've made with us. Thank you that you stick with us, you persevere with us, even when we are not faithful, even when we let you down, even when we turn our back on you. Lord, we're flawed and imperfect people, and we confess to you that we, all of us in many ways, have have disappointed you or let you down or sinned in our relationships with other people. And so, Father, we pray for your grace and your mercy and your help. I pray that you would strengthen marriages. that you would help those whose marriages have failed. I pray, Lord, that we would, from this point forward, begin to honor you in our our ongoing relationships or future relationships. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.